0: were lost. And in our current culture, so much attack is coming against the very message that I'm going to share today. Just a great attack against the whole idea of needing to be saved, um, of who Jesus really was. So it's good for us to hone and sharpen our understanding of why he ever came in the first place. Why? Seeking to save what was lost. Now I'm gonna jump into a story here of a guy in 2nd Kings chapter 5 named Naaman and let's read what it says. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Syria. Now listen to the biographical sketch the Bible gives of him. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. So he was in good standing with his boss and with the citizenry. Why? Because through him The Lord had given victory to Syria. So he was a valiant soldier, but there was a dirty little secret. Here's what it was. He was a leper. Great man, but he was a leper. Now, bands of raiders had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, a little Jewish girl, and she served Naaman's wife. Look what she told Mrs. Naaman. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him, cure him of his leprosy. Powerful story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will bring it home. Speak to our hearts. And those that are far from you, draw them near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You turn to your neighbor and tell him Jesus still heals. You can be seated. God bless you. Now, here, here's the story. Here's Naaman, this mighty man. If Naaman were alive today, he would be on the front page of some magazine. You know, Newsweek, Time, GQ, something. Because he was a hugely impressive individual. Everything was going for him. He had fame. He had money. He had power. He had authority. He had an incredible resume. I have brought down nations. I've commandeered armies that defeated other armies and has put Syria in a hugely favorable position. I got it going on, but I have a secret. There's one thing I can't do anything about and that is I have leprosy. Nobody really knew about it but the inside of the house. Now you've got to know that leprosy was a horrible disease. It was a terrible insidious disease. When you realized you had leprosy, then you knew your time was limited in this respect. It started out small and then began to spread. And as it spread, it's kind of gross, but it would reach out of the extremities and fingers would fall off, toes would fall off, ears, noses would fall off. It defaced you. It deformed you. It was humiliating. It was difficult, this leprosy. Uh, it, it was insidious in that it kept on going and kept on going until finally you can't hide it. You couldn't hide what was going on. For a while you can put clothes over it and nobody knows and, and you can keep your little secret for a while, but it's sort of like when you got a problem that you can't fix could be a marital problem, family problem, problem with kids. You try to cover it up, you try to hide it, but eventually it becomes known because it grows, it worsens. So, this great commander, this mighty man, this, this genius militarily, knew that his time was limited. It wouldn't be long before he couldn't cover it up from his hands or ears or face or wherever it decided to spread. So there was a desperation seething underneath the household of Naaman. Now, they had a little campaign, went into Israel. They captured a little Jewish girl, and she became Mrs. Naaman's helper, servant. Now, she knew something. She knew that there was somebody in Israel who was a type of Christ, Elisha, the prophet, who had been mentored by Elijah. Elisha was a miracle worker. Uh, All kinds of miraculous things were done through his hands. He was known for being a man of God. He was a type of Christ. Just like David was a type of Christ, Elijah was a type of Christ. Uh, Many people in the Old Testament were types and shadows of that which was to come in its fullness in Jesus Christ. And Elisha was one of them. And this little servant girl knew that if Naaman could only get to Elisha, he could and would be healed. So she goes through this whole thing that many of you go through. Do I say anything? I'm in the household, I know the dirty little family secret. I know what's going on, and I know there's an insidious thing afoot in this family. But but what do I do? Do I say something? Do I witness? Do I testify? Or do I just kind of become a silent witness, which I've never understood? Because silent and witness are opposites. You can't be silent and witness. That's free. Jesus doesn't come out of the pores of your skin and point to you and say, they're a believer. But now she finally decided. She said, okay, I don't know what's going to happen to him, but i got to say something because I'm watching his pain. I'm watching her pain. I'm watching this family suffer, so i got to say something. So she takes Mrs. Naaman aside and says, listen, there's a man in Israel. There is a prophet in Israel. And if, if he can just get to him, he will be healed. Mrs. Naaman ran straight to Naaman and said, here's what she just told me. And when he heard it, faith was ignited in his heart. It says faith comes by hearing the word of God. She brought a testimony that ignited faith in Naaman's heart. Now, you got to understand, Naaman was a total pagan They worshipped idols. They had temples to idolatry. The whole nation was steeped in idolatry. They knew nothing of the true God, nothing of the God of Israel. They were totally, completely ignorant of it. And yet, when he hears this testimony, faith is ignited in his heart that maybe something can be done. So he goes straight to the king of Syria, tells him what he just heard, and the king of Syria said hey, I don't want to lose you. You're my greatest commander. If this is true, if something can happen, then you've got my blessing. And he wrote a letter to the king of Israel for Naaman to take with him. And he sent a great entourage of people with Naaman and off they went from Syria all the way to Israel, all the way to Jerusalem. And they went and said, where does this guy, Elisha, live? They found out the house and they went knocking. Now, When he got to Elisha's door, his hope, his faith received a huge blow. Huge blow. It says in verse 10, here's what happened. Elisha sent a man to him, a servant. Elisha didn't go to the door himself. He sent a man saying, he he opened the door and looked at Naaman and said, go and wash in the Jordan River and dip down seven times. And your flesh will be made well, and you will be clean. Now, Naaman hears this, and he wanted to say, Say what? What? I came to be healed. And you're telling me to go down to some muddy, cold river and look like an idiot, dipping down and getting back up seven different times? Are Are you making fun of me? Are you joking? Is this a joke? Do you know who you're talking to? I am Naaman, greatest commander in Syria. And I thought you were going to come out and wave your hand over the spot and do something real dramatic. And as you waved your hand sort of an abracadabra over the leprosy, then I would be healed. and It would be dramatic and cool. And I'd go back home, a healed man. And now you're telling me to go down in a river and make like a jack-in-the-box and go up and down seven times? To him, it sounded like the height of idiocy, stupidity, crazy. You've got to be kidding me. This isn't what he expected at all. Now, his problem is easy to see. And his problem is our problem oftentimes when it comes to God and when God gives us a solution to something that we can't fix. Here was his problem. He resented God's solution. He stumbled over God's solution. He couldn't comprehend or understand God's solution. Go to the Jordan and dip seven times. Now, you got to understand the Jordan was a river sort of on the other side of the tracks. That's the way it was viewed, especially by this guy. The Jordan was muddy, sluggish, clay-colored, and cold. Not to mention it was in a foreign land. And he said, here was his problem. He said, why can't I go to the river of my choice? Why can't I go to the rivers of Damascus? If I've if got to do this silly thing, dipping down once, twice, thrice, four times, five, if I've got to go through all of that, can't I do it in a more respectable river? If I'm going to look like a fool, let me look like a fool in my own hometown. Here's what he said. He said to this servant, Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a huff, and I mean he went away angry. Now, if you knew about the rivers of Damascus, here's what you would have known. They were beautiful. They were clear, serene, cool, gushing, the perfection of a river. One of them was even called the River of Gold. Those are the rivers he liked. He said, man, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it in a river of gold. I'm not going to do it in the Jordan. Come on. It shouldn't matter which river I choose as long as my intentions are good. It shouldn't matter what river I want to go into. If it'll work in the Jordan, why won't it work over in the rivers of Damascus? So it's easy to understand why Naaman initially had a real problem with this. Here was, here was his thought. Here's what he was, if he could have talked to you and me, here's what he would have said. I've got a better idea. I've got a better way. I have a better solution. I know better than you. Now I know I came to you, Elisha, for the healing. I appreciate your wisdom, but I want to take what you told me and I want to do it in my way, not in the way you have told me. Now I want you to listen very carefully. He would have fit in our culture right now because he was being pluralistic. You know what I mean by that? That means we believe in our culture now that any old way will do as long as our intentions are good. We really don't care how, uh, we believe that God doesn't care how we come to him as long as we come to him with with a sincere heart. We want to be able to pick our river, essentially. And we say, I've got a better idea, a better way, a better solution. He was saying to Elisha, I want you to heal me, but I want you to do it my way. Not this way. My way. He almost missed his healing because he was so set on doing it his way. He almost missed his healing. And that's why a lot of people don't get saved. You know why? They don't like God's solution. The Jordan in the Old Testament represents the cross in the New Testament. The Jordan was where he didn't want to go. I'm going to talk about it more in just a moment, but he didn't want to go to the Jordan. The Jordan was what God required, what God demanded, what God said must be if he's going to be healed. And for us today... It's not the Jordan. It's the cross. And a lot of people don't get healed, don't get forgiven, don't get saved because they don't like God's solution. They want to go to their own river. Now, the good news is that Naaman finally gave in. And the only way he gave in is his men appealed to his ego. They said, Naaman, they said, if if he had told you to do something great, you would have done it. Now, if you get healed, that's great. So as soon as Naaman began to believe that he was going to do something great by getting healed, he went down to the Jordan River. And I've often thought of what it must have been like when he was, I don't know, how, he I think he walked out into that water very carefully, very tepidly. He could not, believe. here's what he was saying to himself: I can't believe it's come to this. I can't believe in front of all my men, in front of all these people who are lined along the shore, I'm stepping down into this muddy, cold Jordan River. And not only that, but I've got to go down and up seven times with everybody watching. Down he went once. Now listen, every time he went down, his pride died with it. Every time he went down, he gave up his pride once, twice, twice thrice, nothing, four times, nothing, five times, nothing. I believe after he came down, came up the sixth time, I think you could have heard a pin drop on a shag carpet. I think everybody was watching what's going to happen when he comes up the seventh time. And let me just show you what the Bible says happened. So Naaman went down into the Jordan River seven times as the man of God had told him, and after the seventh time, his flesh was made as well as the flesh of a little baby. He was clean. Isn't that powerful? And here's, here's the cool thing. Not only was he healed physically, but his soul was saved. It goes on to tell us, Then Naaman returned to the man of God with all of those who were with him. He came and stood in front of Elisha and listened to what he said. See now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. See, our salvation is not a hope-so, maybe-so, perhaps-so thing. It's a no-so. Now I know there's no other God but the God that I've encountered in Israel through his prophet. Now let me bring this home to us today. Because, you know, the Bible says that all these stories, these historical events were written so that we in the New Covenant could learn from them. So what does God want us to learn from this? First of all, the leprosy that Naaman had is always portrayed in the Bible as an illustration of sin. Leprosy is always a picture, a metaphor of sin in the Bible. Leprosy. It eats you up. It spreads. It worsens. Whereas normal leprosy separates you from people, the leprosy of sin separates us from God. It's a separator. It's a divider. It cuts us off from the life of God. And you know that the Bible teaches us that all of us are born with the disease called sin. All of us. All of us. Not psychological hang-ups. Sin. Sin. David said, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We don't need to be taught to rebel against God. We do it all on our own quite well. Thank you. The Bible says we have an inward disease, the leprosy of sin. Now, sin, here's what it means, essentially. It means to miss the mark. It means that you can make a billion dollars, become famous, have everything going for you, but if you do not take care of the sin issue in your life, You will die having missed the mark, the bullseye, the most important thing in all the world, being reconciled back to God, experiencing eternal life, having his peace, having the relationship that sin destroyed restored with God. And if you die a billionaire, famous, you still die having missed the mark. So you missed life. You missed the game. You lost the game. Sin happens when we break God's laws. It's real simple. When we break a law of God, we have sin, and we all break the laws of God. Now, I know what you're thinking, and I'm also anticipating many of our radio friends thinking the same thing. Pastor Jeff, I'm I've sinned a little bit. I've made some mistakes, but I'm not that terrible. I don't get traffic tickets. I take care of my family. I do a good job. I I am a good American citizen, so come on now. God's not mad at me. But the Bible testifies that God has diagnosed us all. We've all been in heaven's doctor's office. And we have been diagnosed. And here's what the x-ray showed. Are you ready? Here's what the x-ray showed. There is none righteous, says the Bible. No, not one. Well, that leaves me out. It goes on. We have all turned away from God. All of us. We have all done wrong. That's Isaiah. Listen to Romans chapter 3. There is none who does good. No, not one. That means there is not one human being on earth who lives up to God's standard of righteousness. Not one. Look at all the alls none's, not any. Romans 5 says, all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God every single day. We all have that bent, that inclination to do that which is sinful. We just do. Now, I anticipate your thoughts again. Here's, here's what some of you are thinking. Well, I can tell you what, Jeff, I know a lot of people way worse than me Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Y'all look so holy when I say that. (laughs) Have you ever taken God's name in vain? If you have, you've broken the third commandment. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever rebelled against your parents? How many of you were perfect kids? Well, I need to move right on down to lying. Have you ever rebelled against your parents? If you did, you broke the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever stolen anything? Remember that pack of gum you took when you were eight years old? Have you ever stolen anything, taken what was not yours? Then you have broken the eighth of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Some of you just did. (laughs) Have you ever told a lie? If you've ever told a lie, you broke the ninth commandment. Now, that's four of the Ten Commandments right there that almost everybody in here has broken. Now, watch this. The Bible says if you obey all the commandments, all ten of them, but break just one, you are as guilty as someone who has broken them all. James 2, verse 10. Well, where does that leave us when it comes to the x rays? Not good, terminal, sinful every one of us. So nobody can say, I have no sin, I have no leprosy, spiritually speaking. The Apostle John wrote these words. He said, if if we say that we don't have any sin, we are deceiving ourselves and we're not being truthful with ourselves. So if you look in the mirror and you say, you have not sinned, you are lying to yourself. That's the worst deception of all. Well, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? It leaves us with leprosy. It leaves us with a problem we can't fix. We all have the leprosy of sin, all of us. Now, like Naaman, many of us want a solution other than what God requires. Okay, I'll admit to you. Yeah, I do wrong. Okay, I'm a sinner. But, but, But I want another river to fix it. I want another solution. I don't like what God has pointed to. I don't like that. Can I do something more respectable, more acceptable, more where I won't lose my reputation? You know, I like being liked and I like being popular. So, so can I do something else? And, and, and we say this to ourselves, well, I'll tell you what I'll do to make my sin better. I will become a better person and that'll get me through the doors. It, it may barely get me through, but it'll get me through. I'm just going to become a better person. We do all those new year's resolutions. We break in one month or less. Or we say this to ourselves I'm going to become a really good person. I'm going to do good and marvelous things for others, thinking that that will tip the scales. You face God, and here's your sin, but you say, I did so many good things for so many people, it's going to tip the scales in my favor, and I will barely squeak through, but I will be let in because I'm so good. Or we say, Okay, if God's the answer, I'll turn to God but my God, my choice of a God, not that cross, not by way of Jesus Christ. So instead, we say this, I will embrace a religion more acceptable than Christianity. And we say with Naaman, who wanted a more acceptable river, we say, aren't Buddhism or yoga or Islam or some self-help program better than that narrow Dull, stilted, uncool Christian faith. So here's what we do these days. We go grab a little bit of Buddhism, a little dash of new age mysticism, a little bit of yoga over here, a little bit of Shinto over here, a little dab of Christianity, just enough to get us acceptable in a church, and we put it all together in a great big religious stew. And then we say, now, here's my religion. Here's my faith. Here's what's going to take care of my sin. But here's the problem. God said the Jordan. God said the cross. God didn't say it's up to you because if it had been up to Naaman, he would have said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm headed to the river of gold in Damascus. And he would have gotten healed there, but he didn't. He had to go where God said. And so do we. So even when we try to bring that religious stew to God, that mix of pluralism, God says, no, that won't do. If you don't come to the cross of my son to be healed, you're not going to be healed. And so here's what we do. We say, I don't like that. And we recoil at God's solution. I don't like that. I'm a self-made man, self-made woman. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And we recoil. And this is why a lot of people don't get saved. Their pride won't let them. <clears throat> Naaman recoil at the Jordan River and we recoil at the cross. But listen to what the Bible says about the cross. Listen to the, the Scripture's testimony about the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. When I tell you that the cross can wash away the leprosy of your sin, you have the same reaction that Naaman did when he said, what do you mean dip in the Jordan River seven times? How stupid, how ridiculous is that? It was foolishness to him until he did it. And the cross is foolishness to the intellectual mind. We say, how could there be an answer In my going to a cross where a man died 2,100 years ago, how could that do anything for me? What is that? A bunch of hocus pocus? What is that? What are you talking about? That's stupid, crazy, silly. Give me a psychological solution. Give me Freud. Give me Jung. Here's why we avoid the cross. Here's why we really do avoid it. It takes humility to go there. Naaman wanted a more respectable river, one that he could step into with his pride intact. He wanted a more respectable river. He didn't want to humble himself at all. He was a proud man, and his outer pride, his, his, the pride he had over himself was as bad as the leprosy that was on his body. It's humbling to go to an old, blood-stained cross How could that be the answer? Isn't a cross something people just wear around their necks or on a bracelet? Or you go get married and there's a cross hanging around somewhere? Or there's crosses on churches and yeah, yeah, that's religion. What is this about a cross? What is it about the cross? The cross is a real historical event. It was the defining moment of all of history. According to scripture, that's where the savior died and his innocent blood was spilled. And that's the only answer to get rid of the leprosy. There isn't anything else according to scripture and according to the testimony of millions upon millions and hundreds of millions more throughout history. And about the, and it's the testimony of the words, the very words of Jesus himself. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. On that cross that whoever believes on him would not perish in their leprosy but experience eternal life the cross is humbling because it takes admitting that we've got a problem we cannot personally fix no matter how hard we try Naaman had leprosy nothing could heal leprosy nothing could get rid of it it was the cancer of their day and there was no cure You ended up in a leper colony, and you finally died, ostracized and alone. There was no answer. And we have the leprosy of sin. And guess what? Nothing can take away our sin but an act of God. Nothing. You can't wash your sin away. You can't think it away. You can't deny it away. You can't debate it away. You can't argue it away. It's there. And it will not go anywhere unless God takes care of it. And that's why this story is in the Old Testament, to show us that it took a miracle of God to get rid of this man's leprosy. And it only happened when he went to the place God said and did it the way God said it. And when he did, he was a rescued, healed man. We can fix a flat tire. We can fix a financial problem. We can fix a broken window, but we cannot fix our sin problem. And to admit that is difficult. But listen, the Bible says no one else can save us. No one. Indeed, we can be saved only by the power of the one name, Jesus and not by any other person, means, or way. Isn't that something? Now, that's either true or it's not. You say, well, Pastor, what if that's not true? What if it is? People don't like the cross because it takes humility to go there, and they don't like the cross because it's uncomfortable. You know why? Because at the cross, we're handed the x-rays of God's diagnosis. And you open up that x-ray file that God gives you at the foot of the cross, and here's what it says, terminal, sinful, undone, lost, in need of a Savior, That's what you have to admit at the foot of the cross. That's the diagnosis. So at the cross, we're forced to face ourselves. The truth of our condition and the price that a bleeding Savior paid so that we could be forgiven. You've got to admit that at the cross. You know, if you noticed when you drove up, we we have a cross that we have put into the, the yard out here on one of those mounds, and it's right on the service road. And we put it there because when we raise enough money when we get to the place, we're going to totally redo the outside of this building. And we've got a beautiful 50-foot stone cross that's going to go straight up the middle where you can see it from the highway and see it from... But until then, we wanted a cross somewhere. I don't go with these churches that say, oh, don't put religious artifacts anywhere in your building lest you offend the lost. And I want to say, what? Because when you look at the cross. It says, Savior, Jesus. We immediately think of him. So we put it out there. Now, here's what we've seen. We have seen truckers and individuals in cars pull up, get out, walk up to that cross, bow down, and pray. We've seen them do it. What What drew them there? Because we instinctively know something happened back there when Christ died on that cross. It is the defining moment of all time. So it's difficult to go face that at the foot of the cross. But the cross is where we stop running. It's where we stop hiding. It's where we stop denying. At the cross, we realize that Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. Watch carefully. The cross looms at the intersection between life and death, heaven and hell, blind in sight, where you will spend eternity. The cross looms right there. I read a story, true story, when trains were created in the 1800s and they began to roll down the tracks. And you had the old locomotive, the steam engine put wood and the, the furnace. And you had the conductor with the hat and the whole bit. And, 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 there, and they came up finally with passenger trains. And uh, there, was, there was a passenger train that was headed to another town one night. And the conductor is just looking out the window. And all of a sudden, he sees in front of him this shadowy figure doing this. Waving its arms. He leans down and looks through. Yes, I do see that. He thought, I better stop. He pulls the train to a stop. Gets out, walks down the tracks looking for this shadowy figure. And just a few yards down, sees the bridge was out. True story. Beneath was a raging, rushing river. He says, oh. He goes back, what was that? And then he looked at the light on the train, and a large moth had crashed straight into the light on that train. And as it barreled down the tracks, the wind was causing the wings to go like that. You know what the cross is? That's the cross. The cross stands at the intersection between you and eternity. And if you die, according to Christ, if you die without Him, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. So thank God for the cross. What a powerful cross! What a mighty cross! What a beautiful cross. Though, yes, it is old, rugged, blood-stained, and goes back 2,100 years, there is where you find yourself because there is where you find the God who made you. At the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light and all of my sins were rolled away. Naaman went to the Jordan and was healed. And when we go to the cross, We're healed, really healed, truly healed. No Band-Aid, really healed. One last thing about Naaman, and I want to close. Naaman made the craziest request of Elisha after he was healed. And I read this, and I, I had to really think about this, because it was a crazy request. He goes to Elisha after he's been healed, and after he's declared his faith in the God of Israel, and he says, Elisha, please give me two mule loads of earth to take back with me, for from now on I will never again offer any burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. What was that about? I'm going to go back to Syria, and I'm taking two loads of dirt with me. What was that about? Here's what he was saying. He was saying, my conversion is so real to me. I have experienced salvation and healing from the God of Israel. So, I'm going to take some of the soil from Israel. I'm not going to move my family to Israel and camp there and never tell anybody about what happened to me, but I'm going back to Syria, which is a picture of the world, and Israel is a picture of the kingdom of God for illustration's sake. He said, I'm going to take soil from the kingdom of God where I've experienced my salvation, I'm going to take it back to my hometown. And I'm going, every time my king bows to worship an idol, I'm going to spread the soil of Israel, and I'm going to kneel on that. And I will never again worship an idol, but I will always identify with the God who saved me in Israel. And that's what we're to do. We are to take the truth of the kingdom of God, the life of the kingdom of God, the peace of the kingdom of God, the reality of Jesus Christ from the kingdom of God and bring it to our own home town and say, I was saved there. Here's the soil. So can we stand together today? And I'm going to ask you just to bow with me just for a moment of prayer. I so appreciate your attentiveness today. And with your heads bowed, let me ask you a question. Do you need the cross today? Are you ready to come to the cross today? At that cross, there is peace for you. There is the beginning of the healing of your life there. At the cross is the only place where the leprosy of your sin can be taken away. If you've never been there, you have to go there if you're going to be forgiven in the eyes of God and if you're going to experience the joy of peace with Him. Maybe there is a a leprosy of some kind of a sin in your life, a habit, something that, like leprosy, is just eating you away. It's causing you to be distanced from loved ones. It's affecting your whole life. I'm telling you, the cross is your answer. And you can go there today. So while our heads are bowed, let me just ask a simple question. If you can say, you know, Jeff, I do. I need the cross. I need the cross today. I see your hands. Just raise them right where you are. I need that cross today. God bless you, many of you. Keep them up. I need the cross today. i tell you what I want us to do. I want you to forget about everybody in this place. No one in here matters but you and God. And that cross he offers. If you raise your hand, I want you to do something you slip out from where you are, and I want you to come and stand right here in front of me. I want to pray with you here, and don't let pride keep you. Naaman went down to that Jordan with everybody looking, but you know what? Nobody's looking. We're all bowed in prayer, but I want you to come now. Come quickly. Take advantage of this opportunity. Start walking, and come to the cross. Come to the cross of Christ. We're going to pray right here. You come now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't get in your car and go down the highway without taking advantage of the ability to come to the cross of Christ right now. We're going to sing very gently and quietly as you come. We're going to wait for you.